Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us to wrap up the week in politics is Bill Crystal. And Bill, it was like watching senior citizens fight over the last bingo card last night in the Democratic debate. That's good. I'm glad you're telling me this, Michael, since I <laughs> spared myself from watching it. But you know what? You you watched it, Michael, so I didn't have to. So give me your give me your 30-second conclusion. Well, I can summarize Hillary Clinton's entire debate about campaign finance reform, which is we desperately need it. Money is completely corrupting. Uh, when you give people money. It hurts the system. The evil Koch brothers are destroying democracy with money, and the except for when people give money to her, which is the only time that they give money to a politician and it doesn't corrupt the system. Therefore, all political donations should be immediately forwarded to Hillary Clinton. That was her case. And I read a little about it, and she's also a woman. Maybe you're not aware I of that, Michael. That. <laughs> and we're both not, and therefore, we're probably not even entitled to have this discussion. But I gather that if you're a woman, you can't be part of the establishment. Uh, that's and true. so you might have thought that she was the first lady of the United States, the senator from New York, the secretary of state, spends all her time hobnobbing with the establishment in places from Davos to the Hamptons to Chappaqua to, to, to Manhattan. And But that would be wrong because she's apparently immune from this charge. I mean, how laughable is that? Well, that is the question. I, You know, we know politicians are going to tell us things that are not true, but I'd appreciate as a viewer a little better lie. I mean, when you look at me and say that money is corrosive, but when I get the money, it's there's no, there is no corrosion. Nothing happens at all. What am I supposed to do with that? And she made those arguments simultaneously without a hiccup. And of course, Bernie Sanders didn't uh, pick her up on it because he's trying to caref- be careful, not look like he's attacking her. Also, another thing on the woman thing, I thought it was interesting, and this is something for Republicans to keep in mind. She went into full victim mode on that with the notion that uh, Bernie Sanders was using a, quote, artful smear against her, which, by the way, I actually saw the band Artful Smear open for <laughs> the tubes in 1982. But um, she, she when she did it, I, I was surprised at how effective it was. And I think part of it is because of the perception when, when you're debating a woman, you know, there are all kinds of cultural things that, that uh, you project. But she was able to simultaneously say, Yes, I took all this money, and how evil of you for pointing out I took out all this money, and why don't you just come out and say it, you hate me, you big bully. And even coming from the front runner and from someone as well-known and established as Hillary Clinton, playing the victim, kind of like Donald Trump does, I, I think, Bill, in a way. You're su- I'm surprised at how effective it is for her to play the victim role. It works. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think Sanders, from what I've read and the clips I've seen, was probably, re- was probably sensible to not rise to the bait and to just kind of make his case and figure he's considerably ahead in New Hampshire and he doesn't really need to do much to go after her. I do think people are underestimating the shock uh, if, if assuming Sanders wins by 15 points or something, I don't think it'll be 30, but 15 points in New Hampshire, uh, the shock of waking up Wednesday morning to that result. I mean, people can say she has a firewall and she's the establishment candidate and wait till we get to South Carolina and all that, but you're already seeing the national polls moving a little bit after Iowa uh, on the Democratic side. They could continue to move after New Hampshire. I think the polls in states like South Carolina and Nevada will move. Uh, we could have a real race, and I, you know, I don't actually know exactly why Bernie Sanders can't actually defeat Hillary Clinton for the nomination. Well, a very wise person told me on this podcast right before Iowa that it was like a pool table and you didn't know where the balls were going to bounce. It's not linear. And uh, you that turned out to be completely true, Bill. You're right about that. I would also point out that the new Quinnipiac national poll, which, let's face it, in any national poll, Hillary should be up by 10, 10 15, without even thinking about it, has them in the margin of error. And yeah, that's a that is just astonishing to me that nationally Democrats are looking at these two candidates and saying, 
yeah, I could go with uh, Bernie as quickly as I could go with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And that's to say nothing of the FBI investigation. I mean, everyone says when you have this conversation with insiders in Washington, they'll say, well, that's what Joe Biden's thinking about. But it's practically speaking, getting in the race, someone like Biden getting in the race isn't so easy. Anyway, I think the Democratic side could end up being almost as entertaining and interesting as the Republican <laughs> side this year, which is which is which will be something. Huh? Hey, well, and one last thing on the Democrats before we move on, which is I think. Uh, I forget which commentator said it. There was a Democrat who's talking about it who made a very good point. Bernie doesn't talk about the emails and the FBI investigation because Democrats don't want to hear it. It doesn't work for them. They've already baked in the Hillary is corrupt, you know, concept into their cake. But it could work in the general election. And I think in a lot of ways, Republicans would be smart to kind of lay off, let the you know process work. If the FBI acts, it acts. If the DOJ acts or doesn't act, it doesn't act. But to let that story tell itself until after the primaries and then assuming she's the nominee, I think they can reset it, bring everything up. And, of course, then again, if the DOJ, if the FBI recommends an, an indictment and the DOJ refuses to do it, that pretty much tells the story by itself. Yeah, I totally agree. And you and I have been through this a few times in campaigns. And the partisans, understandably, they're excited. They want, why aren't you Why aren't you exactly. making this point? Why aren't you screaming this from the rooftops? Well, sometimes, tactically, you're better off not screaming anything from the rooftops, letting people in the middle, people in the media, uh, the FBI, you know, people who are in law enforcement say, yeah, this really is kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that doesn't mean you just are quiet. And when the Hillary people try to spin something the way they did last night with alleged Condi Rice and Colin Powell, you know, you Using, uh, having classified documents in their personal email, it's worth pushing, pointing out how, how how phony that story is. But in general, sometimes it's better to hold back. You've got to be have the ammunition ready at the right time for the swing voters, but you don't want to make it just a giant Republican assault. That is what she wants. I think Sanders has been pretty clever in making it pretty hard for normal Democratic primary voters to look up and think, gee, Bernie Sanders is some mean right. male, you know, uh, chauvinist type who's just doesn't <laughs> think a woman should be president. That's not his. I mean, he's been very issue focused in his assault on Hillary and his just drawing distinctions with Hillary. I wouldn't even say it's an assault. And obviously, you and I think those issues are kind of ridiculous. But nonetheless, it's been pretty effective, I think, within the Democratic Party. One of the things I love about going to weeklystandard.com, in addition to finding our podcast there, is always find stuff I didn't know about. And now that I know that Donald Trump is giving away free Buffalo Wild Wings to the people who work the hardest for his campaign, as I read at the Weekly Standard today, Bill, I've got my weekend plans. I'm ready for the Super Bowl. I'm going to earn myself a bowl of wings from a guy who's not going to be in New Hampshire today at all. Let the weather chase him away. I think this campaign is getting very interesting. Yeah, I really wonder about his sort of psychological state. You know, a lot of us said when the when he loses, the so the bubble will burst, and he himself might get discouraged. And then he's went from strength to strength in the polls, and that seemed uh, overly confident. And I still think I worry that that analysis remains overly confident. But what he did today is the sign of a, I think, a candidate whose heart isn't in it. He's certainly not going the extra mile, finding an excuse to cancel an entire day in New Hampshire three days before the primary. I think tomorrow night, I'm going up there tomorrow. I'll be there for the debate. I'll be on this week, Sunday morning. And I'm, I assume uh, Trump will condescend to show up tomorrow and actually be in this debate, <laughs> unlike the Iowa debate, which, you know, you and I, I think, thought, right. I think we were on maybe that night, said we thought that was a mistake of Trump and he might well pay a price. And the total media conventional wisdom at that point, they were so intimidated by Trump's successes that it was sort of, a, no, he's figured out how to 
he's doing a brilliant thing here too. Uh, he has an interesting question Saturday night. Does he kind of try to sail through the debate, not pick too many fights? Does he go after Ted Cruz? What's his issue message to the degree he ever has a real policy and issue message to the voters of New Hampshire? Uh, I, I think he suddenly has real challenges. I mean, he's ran a fantastically skillful campaign, obviously, for those first six months. But there's a way in which sometimes, you know, things are just clicking. You get lucky. You're skillful. Your opponents make some mistakes. You go from strength to strength. It, of course, the real test is when you do get knocked down and knocked back. Uh, Ted Cruz knocked him down in Iowa. And one thing I would say, all these establishment guys here in Washington especially who really loathe Ted Cruz, you know what? Ted Cruz beat Donald Trump, which is more than any of them was able to do. Great point. And Ted Cruz is running a smart campaign. As you know, I'm in Georgia where Jimmy Carter is obviously a big center of the news. And when Jimmy Carter said what Bob Dole and Trent Lott and many others have said, which is, I'd rather have Donald Trump than uh, Ted Cruz. And when Jimmy Carter added, because Trump is malleable, we'll get what we want. Uh, Ted Cruz was smart enough to seize that and put it up on as a TV ad in New Hampshire almost immediately. And, you know, he's, he's lucky that Jimmy Carter said it, but he's smart and effective. He, he is running a terrific campaign. Even if you hate him, you've got to admit, this guy is working harder and smarter than anyone else, I think, in the field right now. No, I agree with that. And I'd say Rubio is running a good campaign yeah, sure. and maybe got a little luck too, but has certainly peaked at the right time in Iowa. And I've always thought they're the, probably the two most talented politicians, sort of different talent sets, but each their own set of talents uh, in the Republican field. And they may well emerge as the finalists. Uh, it's interesting to see someone like Chris Christie, who's been the subject of so much narration, can't win, definitely going to win. No way. Oh, my gosh. He's the come from outside kid. He, he was the comeback kid before we cast a vote, Bill. And I, even, as low as Jeb Bush's numbers are, I really am surprised to have much time. Chris Christie has spent in New Hampshire. I, I used to do you know talk radio in New England for eight years. I know the area. He seems like a natural fit. He's focusing on local issues like the horrible impact of heroin and uh, heroin addiction in New Hampshire. I thought he'd be you know up there. You know what I mean? I thought he'd be like on the fringes. And you look at polls consistently. He's down at three, four, five percent. You know, I thought so too, but I think he really got distracted. And this is, I think, maybe bad advice from his political consultants or maybe his own bad instincts. He was doing well when he was just talking about local issues. It was a little bit orthogonal to the rest of the race. He wasn't really engaging that much with the other candidates, but he was making his own case. And then suddenly, just as they all told him, you've got to take down Rubio. Your vote and you and right. Rubio are in a death struggle. You've got to go after Rubio. And suddenly, he looks mean and sort of vindictive and nasty about Rubio. And most of the people choosing between Christie and Rubio kind of like them both. Right. So, it doesn't do you a lot of good to be denigrating Rubio. Kasich, actually, who I think is a, personally is a somewhat less attractive candidate than Christie, I would have said that at least two, three weeks ago. Kasich actually has taken up that strategy, never says anything much about the other candidates, makes his own case. It's a very kind of liberal, moderate establishment case. I have all this experience. I govern well in Ohio. I expanded Medicaid, but I, I know how to use government. I'm not some radical crazy. But of course, there is 15, 20% of the vote available to that kind of Republican in New Hampshire, maybe even a little more. Uh, and Kasich, I think, is doing a pretty good job of gobbling it up. Christie kind of abandoned that. And now I do think has really suffered and I think will be out of the race after Tuesday. I was asked a question by an acquaintance of mine who listens to the podcast, and he was frustrated. He said, the media is always talking about the racehorse. You never hear talking about issues. You never turn on you know, CNN or Fox and see uh, you know, the, the five tax plans, you know, the three approaches to immigration, whatever. 
and uh, and we were talking about are the voters even thinking in those specifics or are they really is this really an election about winning an election and uh, what, what's your analysis of whether or not the issues themselves are having an impact on voter decisions yeah that's a good point and a good question we should have a longer conversation about that on the next podcast maybe i'd say a couple of things i think trump really distorted the race and made it less issue heavy than it might otherwise have been and a lot of it became about what trump is saying and everyone's different reactions to trump and so that i think made it less substantive than it, than it might have been i also think they do agree on a lot of issues and so comparing their tax plans could be a pretty uh, kind of boring right. and also, you know, small ball exercise. Immigration is the one area where uh, there is a big difference. There have been big differences. And that, I think, has been litigated. And I, I think, you know, Rubio did well in the last debate, in the pre-Iowa debate. He was more relaxed and more comfortable, I think, than Cruz. But I suspect, in retrospect, and he helped himself, but Cruz also didn't hurt himself. And I think the reason for that, even though he wasn't as good as he sometimes is in debates, is that on the one big substantive exchange on immigration, Cruz Cruz really made clear and reminded people at the end of the day, Marco Rubio was for the Gang of Eight, was a co-sponsor of the Gang of Eight bill, and I voted against it and fought it. So I think the issues matter, but maybe a little less uh, than they have. And they may come to matter when we get down to a two or three or four person race. When it's such a mob scene out there, it becomes a little more personality and tactics and gaffes and a little less issue issue focused, I think. Uh, One last question about that. What would you say if the Marco Rubio people said, here's what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about having Marco go out and embrace it and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I did go in. I thought I could make a deal. Here were my motives. Here was my desired outcome. Then when I saw I couldn't get it, I blew it up. I've learned my lesson and openly embrace it and kind of end that conversation rather than this tap dancing he's forced to do right now by Cruz. You know, I think that's an interesting suggestion. I think Rubio's doing well enough tap dancing that they probably think they can continue to tap dance. And that's maybe tap dance isn't quite fair, but, you know, kind of uh, not address it head on in a sort of major speech or part of a speech. I'm, I'm but sorry, that, Bill, I got to stop you right there. We have seen full on Fred Astaire out of Marco Rubio on this issue. I OK, mean, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Come on. So then so I think in that, you know, that would be an interesting question two weeks from now. If it starts to hurt him, does Rubio do a sort of serious account of what he tried to do, what he thought he could do, why he was Strong, what he's learned from it. It wouldn't be foolish to get that all in one place, I think. Yeah, and there's a backstop. I mean, he's making a really good point that to me is the point that will give the Republicans an upper hand on this no matter what in November, which is until you're prepared to say that enforcing the law like a normal country is not racist and hate, but is normal and, and, and is the minimum the government can do. And I will not even discuss you know, any reforms, whatever, until we simply fix. If you overstay your visa, you have to go. If you sneak into our country, you have to go. Until you can tell me that the day after a reform, the guy who comes in on Wednesday after the Tuesday of reform will get deported, the conversation ends. And, and Rubio's been very smart to pound away at enforcement, enforcement, enforcement. So I think you'll be okay either way. And I think Republicans overall will do very well on this issue against Hillary Clinton, who's going to have to stand by the open borders. If you can get here, you get to be an American approach of the left. Yes, she will. I think the degree to which Hillary Clinton is now um, trapped in left-wing positions on just a ton of issues uh, will end up hurting her. Well, Bill, no doubt uh, you'll have a lot of fun in New Hampshire. We'll get a special podcast up over the weekend. And then next week, we'll bring new excitement after we uh, see what happens on Tuesday. Thanks, Michael. Good talking to you and have a good weekend. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.